we're going to keep uh, Genesis open if you can, and we're going to pray that God would help us to understand the story of Abraham today. That's, uh, that's what we're looking at, and so that's why I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a great and mighty God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God whose story we need to find our story within. And we ask that you might do this today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, well, great to, uh, great to have uh, this uh, Bible reading in front of us. I, I want to think this morning a little bit about you as we start off, a little bit about you. And uh, I want to imagine we're sitting around a fire and someone says to you, hey, what's your story? What's your story? And you might think to yourself, uh, my story starts with making sure the fire doesn't burn me and if we can turn that down a little bit, that'll be great. No. Um, What's your story? So someone said, what's your story? How would you go about telling it? Would you tell us about where you came from? Would you tell us about what you do? Would you tell us about the experiences that you've had? How would you go about telling your story? You might even say, my people come from a, a particular place or my parents were. How would you start your story and what would you say? As we think about our story, we're defining ourselves. We're creating meaning in our lives. And I want to think about some potential story arcs that we could run with, some ways that we could talk about our story. We could talk about career. We could say, my life is orientated about my achievements. Or maybe we could say, I don't think anyone would actually say my life is orientated around a catalogue, but... If we said that I'm accumulating possessions, I would think that there are people who would talk about their life in terms of the things that they have acquired. Or maybe it's your calendar. Who doesn't say, how was your week? And we say, oh, so what? Busy. No one ever done that before? Okay, so if we say it's busy, we've really started to say my life is about my productivity about what I, what I have done with my time. For some people, it might be about conflict, relational or maybe even international. And so the thing that you're concerned about is justice and power. You're looking at the world as a world of great struggles and you find your story in that story. Or maybe it's a story of culture. And so you're, you're looking at influence and inclusion. Who's on the inside? Who's part of my group? Who is not part of my group? And how do either I get into the group I want to be a part of or include those who are not part of my group now? Maybe it's a story of catastrophe. The world is going to hell in a handbasket and I think we should all... Why don't we... So you live in a story that is about imminent danger, imminent danger. Or maybe it's about capitalism. I don't think too many people would say that, but instead what you talk about is making money, having enough, unlocking potential, taking care of my mortgage. The the, the narrative becomes about money. Or maybe it's about children, Not, not just how did they sleep last night, but you orientate all of your energy about achieving things through them. They will have better opportunities than I have. I would do anything for my 
kids, yeah? Do we know this story? This is a story that people tell. And I want to suggest to you today that all those stories are fine, but there is a dominant story that if we name Jesus as our Lord, we should have. It's a story of Christ and our place in his kingdom. And the other stories aren't necessarily bad, but if the dominant story that you tell doesn't intersect with Jesus Christ, we are not truly living in a way that shows that we are Christians. You see, the story that we tell, the story that we tell, the way we orientate our lives and our minds will reveal our biggest challenge. The biggest challenge in the world right now is, how would you answer it? Or it might be, what my strongest resource is. I can always fall back on. Or it will tell us what our greatest hope is. I long for a day when... The answers to those questions reveal the story, the narrative that is in our hearts. And today I want to suggest to you that the narrative that drives the Bible comes from Genesis 12 all the way through into the present day. And so we're going to look at Genesis 12 today and 15 and 17 and others. So although I would like to spend time on all the little bits and pieces in these chapters, instead I'm going to paint a broad picture for us today. And so I want you to see the big story rather than drill down into the sentences. Although you can come back for a six-hour version of the sermon if you want that later. I know there'll be lots of takers, is that right? Thank you, good, okay. Well, here's our picture of the story of the Bible. And we started with creation, the fall. We've looked at Noah. And this week we come to Abraham's story. We come to Abraham's story. And what I want you to see today is what we need to know in the Abraham story that will make sense of our story. In order to do that, we have to go back a little bit. Uh, We need to go back to chapter 11, Uh, where we see that the people who existed after the flood had come together. And they'd come together to build. The Lord said this, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 11 and verses 6 to 8. The Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, namely build a massive tower to reach to the heavens, then nothing they can do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. It was sinful human beings' aim to come together and build a tower up to God. Why? Well, to overthrow him, essentially. To overthrow him. And so God scatters them. And you might wonder, why did God stop them building a tower? Do you remember what God had said in Genesis 1? Go into all the earth and multiply and fill it, yeah? So God had actually sent them out to fill the earth and to subdue it, to fill the earth and to care for it. And by coming together and building a tower, they were rebelling against God. So he scatters them and confuses their language. Well, let's go to chapter 12. So in a scattered world we find God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. Have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, 
Thank you, Kathy, for pointing this out incidentally. Abraham is the guy. It's the same guy. He gets a name upgrade from God a bit later in the story. Okay? And so does his wife, Sarai, becomes who? Sarah. <laughs> um, so she gets upgraded as well. But don't be confused when you see Abram in here. It is Abraham. So the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Go, essentially, is what God says. And what he tells him to leave is his country, his people, and also his household. Now, who here has left their country, their people, and their household? Can you put your hand up? Yeah, a whole bunch of us have done that in in here. And to do that is a fundamental act of of faith at some level, you're going to somewhere new and you're leaving behind essentially all the things that are bound up in your identity. Who are you? I'm descended from such and such. Who are you? These are my people. Who are you? I come from this place. Yeah. And so we lose all of that and God tells him to get up and go. Now that'd be a pretty hard call. But God doesn't just tell him to go. He gives him incredible promises. I told you that God takes the initiative. Can you see here? I will, I will, I will, I will. This is God taking the initiative. And what does he offer? Well, God says, I will make you, in verses 2 to 3, into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is arguably the greatest promise in the Bible. It's a pretty big claim, isn't it? It's a great claim because it pushes out from from this man, Abram, all the way through the whole arc of the Bible to us here today. And I want to try and show you how that works today. I want you to see that God has a good plan for Abram. He doesn't just tell him to leave all these things. I want you to see how what he promises him answers each of these losses. Have a look with me. God says, leave your country. And he says to him, I will give you a new land. He says, leave your people. And he says, I will make you, you, into a great nation. He says, Leave your father's household. That's his name, right? So I am Abraham, son of Terah. Leave your father's household. And what does he say? I will make your name great. It's a remarkable promise. I'll tell you why, guys. Because hardly any of you would be able to say who Abraham's father was, would you? But we know who Isaac and Jacob's fathers are. It's remarkable, right? We know all of their fathers, but hardly any of us know who's Abraham's father was. Why? Because Terah did not make Abraham's name great. God made Abraham's name great. Do you see this? And so he's not Abraham the son of, he's father Abraham. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Because God made his name great. And then God says over all these things, I will bless the entire earth through you. Now I got the, uh, the guys this morning to do a little exercise. Imagine the God of the universe was speaking to you personally. And he said, through you, every single person on the face of the planet will be blessed. 
That's pretty remarkable, isn't it? How could he say it to me? How could he say it to you? And yet he said it to this man in a foreign country. We see that Abraham trusted God. In response to these great promises, he trusted God. So Abraham went, have a look with me at verse 4, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram is a man of faith. He's also an old man. Well, he's a man with lots of experience. Is that right? Um, So are there any people in this category, 75 or above, who are here today? God bless all of you guys. Really glad that you're with us. Some of you are making Abram look like a young guy, which is fantastic. But what what I reflected on is that Abram is the first grey nomad. Right? At 75 years old, God says, pick up everything, hitch up the caravan, we're going. And he's going to a place he doesn't know. He actually doesn't know where the land is. He just heads out. And I want you to see that faith, true faith, is faith that moves. True faith is faith that moves. It's not just an idea in your head. It's not a feeling in your tummy. It's faith that does something. Faith that moves. That's the sort of faith that Abram has. So come forward. We're going to go to chapter 15, which Kathy read for us. And I want you to see that the promises of God didn't happen immediately. There is a wonderful set of sermons, as Kathy alluded, from the end of chapter 12 up to chapter 15. Some extraordinary things happen. Go do your reading at home. But he wasn't immediately a father. He wasn't immediately a possessor of a land. He wasn't immediate. These promises didn't happen immediately. But I want you to see that God's delay is not God's denial. God's delay is not God's denial. And so let's have a look in chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, this is a wonderful promise. God is his shield and his great reward. But Abram has a very practical question that follows on. Have a look at verse 2. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, that's really cool and all, but what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? You see, how can it be, God? You gave me these extraordinary promises, but some bloke who's not from me will inherit my caravan. And I have nowhere to put my body when I die. I've got nothing concrete in my hand, God. What will you do for me? Do we know these questions? Do we know what it is to question God and say, God, do you know the week that I just had? I just sang, you're for me, not against me. I I sing all these wonderful words in church. But I wonder, are you for me? Do you get me? Do you have great things for me? And so we doubt. What does God say as we wrestle with our doubts? Well, he doesn't rebuke Abram. Have a look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. I said to the guys this morning, he didn't take him outside in Oran Park and say, count the stars. One, two, three, four, five. Have you noticed we can't see that? Anyway, that's a little joke. We, we can't see the stars. Right? Go out to the country. Have you done that? Go out to the country away from the lights and look up at the night. St- it's a staggering array, isn't it? And in this pre-industrial society, I'm pretty sure there was a good show on that night. All right? So he went outside and he beheld the heavens. And God says, so shall your offspring be. And I want you to see Abram's reaction. It's beautiful. I want you to see Abram's reaction. Abram believed the Lord, it said in verse 6. And he credited it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. Now, now what's righteousness? Righteousness is right standing before God, knowing that God loves you and accepts you. And what it says is that God counted his righteousness and put it on Abraham's account. You know, sometimes we transfer money between accounts. No. You all go into a bank and hand over a piece of paper. Is that what happens? You guys use electronic banking sometimes? All right, I'm the only person who does this. All right, but here's the thing, right? You can move money from one account to another. God says, I move money from my account of righteousness. God, the holy, perfect God, his store of righteousness. He says, and I will put it to your account. I will count you as in right standing before me. How? By faith. Not because you're good, not because you're strong, not because you're better looking, but because you trust my promises, I will count you in right standing. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing for us to know and treasure. And then God says, (laughs) I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to take you uh, to this land, to take possession of it. And Abram goes, yeah, 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 sure, that's a great, you are the God who took me out of my home. That's true. But the real question is, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know? He just had this brilliant moment, the stars, and then God says, the land. And he goes, oh yeah, the land. How can I know that? And, and what we see, surprisingly, I think, is that doubts and faith can coexist. Do we know something of this? God, I believe, there's, there's a wonderful prayer in, um, in Mark 9 with the, the, the boy who has a spirit that won't come out of him. And the father of the boy meets Jesus. And Jesus says, what, why don't you believe in me? He says, I do believe. Help me overcome what? My unbelief. Because this can be our journey, can't it? We believe in one area, but we struggle for faith in the other. Yeah? And I want you to see what God does. He says, well, Abram, I just gave you the stars. Pretty stupid to ask me another question. You're... He doesn't rebuke him at all. Have a look what he does. Something extraordinary. We see God's covenant. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, clump. And he said, cut these in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, that's the reason I've got Liam up there. Can you see Liam? Those of you who are at the men and meat night, how long did it take to cut the lamb in parts? Took some time, right? Particularly by the time we get down to steaks, it took us a long time. If you've got a heifer, right, I'm going to suggest that that's some work. Cut it in half. It says later on that he fell into a deep sleep, and I never understood that. But I reckon he was just knackered. 
from all the sawing and cutting. So what have we got? A half a, a half a cow, a half a cow. We've got a half a goat, a half a goat. We've got a half a ram, a half a ram. And then it says he didn't put the birds in two. And you go, why didn't he put the birds in two? And I reckon because then you end up with a bloody handful of bird. That's no good, right? So one on that side and one on the other side, right? So now we've got halves. What do we do with halves? Why even do that, right? We've got a messy butchery lesson going on. And God's trying to make a promise to him. What's going on? Well, what he says is, and what they used to practice in the ancient Near East was, we would make a covenant together. We would make a promise to each other. And then the two people making the promise would walk between the halves of the animals. And you go, okay, so we walk between half an animal. What does that mean? In Jeremiah chapter 34, we see this really helpful verse. God speaking to his people who have not kept the covenant. He says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. God says, when you make a covenant, what we are saying is, may we be as them if we don't keep the bargain. Are you with me? May I be torn apart if I'm not faithful to what I just committed to do with you. Do you see that? And so we walk through together to say, may we be as them if we don't do it. Do you get it? Okay. Well, then I want you to see something extraordinary that happens here in this chapter. God assumes the penalties. God assumes the penalties. It says in Genesis 15, verses 17 to 18, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. How many people moved between the pieces? Just one. God in the form of a fire pot with a blazing torch. Okay? It moved between the pieces. But who didn't go through the pieces? Abraham didn't. And so here's the awesome thing. God says, I make the covenant and I will bear the penalties of the breaking of this covenant, not you. And so we see in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then we see in Romans 5, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The God who made the covenant is the God who would bear the breaking of the covenant, not Abram. It's an incredible covenant of grace. So the question is, did a child get born? Well, eventually it did. Years and years and years later. In Genesis 21, we're told, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. New name, see, upgrade. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And you go, wow, a son, how incredible. That's really lovely. Except it's important to note that she was 90 and he was 100. And so what is this child? He's a child of faith, a child of grace, a miraculous child of promise. 
God kept his promise so that Abraham would become Father Abraham because he was gracious. And God will give them a land. We're in an Old Testament series. It will happen. If we go to the, uh, the story of Abraham, what we're going to see is we need to go to Egypt and then Ten Commandments and then wandering in the desert. But eventually, if you hang around, keep coming back. It's a cliffhanger. Keep coming back. But we will get to the promised land. God will fulfill his promises to Abraham. But what about the blessing to all nations? God's been working through one nation, the nation of Israel, up until the time of Jesus. But then Jesus comes, and we're told in Matthew chapter 1, this is how Matthew chapter 1 starts. This is the genealogy, or the line of descent, for Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so it starts off with Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, blah, 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 all the way down to Jesus. Why does that matter? Jesus is the way God is going to bless the whole earth. And in fact, we see that we are blessed too. Through what Jesus did on the cross, God buys us back. He redeems us. Galatians chapter 3 says this, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through faith in Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Were the Jews descended from Abraham? Yep. How about the Gentiles? The Gentiles is the grab bag of everyone who's not a Jew. And it says here, the promises come to the Gentiles by faith in Jesus. Yes, the blessing promised to Abraham does come through faith in Jesus, his descendant. So we're all Abraham's children by faith. And so it says in Romans 4, and I could read the whole chapter, but I won't. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and it may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who have the law, the Jews, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. So we can sing, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had fun. No, going to stop there. All right, that's good. Some of you should come along to the day camp, and I can teach you. It'll be fantastic. I want you to see that the promised land still awaits in a real sense. The promised land is not Israel. Everyone paying attention? It's not Israel, because it wasn't Israel for Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see something extraordinary. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That's pretty good, isn't it? Even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There is a true, a heavenly home for all of us, including Abraham. And so the great hope of Christians is not that we will go into the promised land in Israel, but that we will be home in the new creation with our great God and Saviour. Well, that's the big story. If you know this story, what do you know? Well, you know some important things. You know some history. You know that Abraham had lived. You know some theology. You know about the God 
who made promises to Abraham. You know the trajectory. Now, bear with me, bear with me, bear with me. You know the story of the Bible from creation all the way through to new creation. You know the promises made to Abraham find their fulfillment at the end of time and that you and I can be included by faith. We know the majesty of the God who could promise Abraham. (laughs) It's so incredible. Abraham's a man standing in a field looking at the sky, right, at night. And God says to him, so shall your offspring be. And they'll be 400 years captives in a land not their own. Then they'll come out. Then they'll take possession of it. Who is the God who can promise that to a childless 75-year-old? We find the majesty of God in this story. And through it, if you will listen, if you will join by faith, you will also find your true identity in this story. So what do we need to do if we know this story? If we know this story, we need to treasure it. We need to treasure it. You need to know this story. And with it, God's track record of faithfulness. I want to encourage you to trust God in the midst of the sort of week you're having this week. In the midst of doubt. Trust that God has not abandoned you. And wait for his promises. We need to worship this promise-keeping God. See, what I want to say to you today, if I take you out under the stars, is I want you to choose to find your story in his story. I want you to choose to say, what is my biggest challenge? My biggest challenge is to be a partner with God, to see his blessing come to every nation of the earth. Maybe more local to home, to come to every home in Oran Park and maybe the growing Southwest, possibly. Yeah, yeah. But my biggest challenge is to see God's blessing come to the whole earth. What is the biggest resource that I have? The strongest resource I have is the faithfulness of my God and the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And, and, and what's my greatest hope? My greatest hope is that you and I will stand in glory on the final day where we step into the presence of God and he says, well done, good and faithful servants, enter into your rest. You see, this story needs to inform everything else we say our lives are about. And I want to I help you find a faith where you say, that's my story. A faith that is ready to move. A faith that is ready to move. And so that you would be able to say, I will take a day off in July. One of my precious days. I'm going to take a day off until I talk to kids about Jesus. Honestly, who would do that? People whose biggest story is bound up in the story of God and sees the precious opportunity to influence the lives of 120 kids and point them to the greatest thing that there is. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the promise-keeping God. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God who saved us through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the God who promises us a home where there'll be no more sickness or sorrow, sadness or death, mourning. Father, we pray that we might long for our home, that we might draw others to know and trust you, and that you might sustain us in the midst of our doubts and difficulties today, knowing that your delay is not your denial. Father, we ask for faith and faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen.